The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We are looking today in Genesis chapter 35. And we're going to be looking at the subject of worship. And uh, this morning we just had a great time gathered together worshiping. Uh, it's an activity people in churches all around the world uh, today and throughout the week really, but especially today gather. And I love this picture that as the world turns, you know, every hour it becomes 10 o'clock on Sunday morning somewhere else. And uh, somewhere else another group of people gather just like this and worship God. And it really is, it really is the, the calling of believers. It's, it's what, one of the main focuses of what God calls us to, to worship Him. Um, in fact, it is the object of His creating that He would be glorified, uh, that He would see His name exalted. And part of it is not to be exalted to any audience particularly, as much as God just wants His glory to radiate uh, to the full expression of who He is. And all that, all that He has created ought to respond to His glory as it goes out with just awe and wonder. Um, I like the song we sang, uh, uh, the third song, I forget, no, the second song. second song was, not immortal, uh, what is it? God of Wonders. Yeah, there it is, God of Wonders. <laughs> the song starts popping into my head. <laughs> God of wonders, you know, this God who's exalted in his creation. Um, and I know that in my head. I know that that's what we do. And as a pastor of a church, it's something that I'm kind of, it's kind of my job, you know, to like do worship. But I find oftentimes that worship for me is, is uh, kind of a hard thing sometimes. I can't honestly say I wake up every morning going, man, I just can't wait to praise God. Now, maybe after five cups of coffee, I'm more in the groove. But, um, but it is something we're called to. And in this story, uh, it's really pointedly made that God, God's whole purpose in what he's doing in our life is to bring us to a place of worshiping him. Right? And uh, to get the, some of the background to Genesis chapter 35, it's really the end of the Jacob, we call the Jacob cycle, the Jacob story. Now Jacob actually doesn't die yet. He goes on and he's actually a character in the next story, which is really the Joseph story, but he's more of a background player. This is the end of his, his, you know, his scene where he's center stage. Uh, and to really get the background of what happens as the curtain's beginning to drop on Jacob's star role, uh, you have to go back to the beginning of the play and really see what God did to get him to this point. And his story really begins significantly in chapters 27 and 28. And Jacob had a bit of a rough start. If you remember... He was, a, he was a bit of a not nice person, uh, kind of a jerk, actually. Uh, his name meant heel grabber, which is an idiom for a deceiver, and he proved himself to live up to that role. He uh, conned the birthright from his brother Esau. Then later, he flat out stole the blessing of his father out from underneath his brother Esau, lied outright to his father, and as a result, his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Mom finds out about it, sends Jacob uh, away to protect his own life. 
And as he was fleeing for his life <clears throat> from his parents' home, uh, he gets to a place called, later to be called Bethel. And if you remember there, he falls asleep, uh, sleeps on a rock, uh, and has a bad dream. Actually, a good dream. Actually, we should all try sleeping on rocks because he had this great dream of this stairway with angels going up and down and God at the very top. And God makes just some amazing promises to him and really reveals him, his, his, himself to Jacob in a very powerful way. And he makes this amazing promise. He says, I will bless you. I'm going to give you land. The very land you're sleeping on is yours. He says, I'm going to be with you. Uh, as you go away from your parents' home, I am going to be with you. And as that unfolds, he unpacks it. He says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to bring you back to your father's home. It was a very dramatic and really, I believe, a significant turning point for Jacob. It was really his first encounter with the living God. And uh, all of his life gets shaped from there. Fast forward 20 years have gone by and he's picked up a lot of wives and children and cattle and sheep and other things. And life's gone pretty well for him. He's reconciled with his brother Esau who now doesn't want to kill him anymore. That's a good thing. Uh, comes to chapter 34 and he's, he's been, uh, he, he fled to the north. Okay, so the home of his wives and of his relatives, his distant ancestors was in the north. He's been gradually working his way south. Uh, he's met his brother, he's ended up in Shechem, and his final destination was far in the south of what, what was now Jerusalem in Hebron, where his father was. So he's working his way south, he gets to Shechem, and he's hanging out there, uh, he's moving slow because he's got all these cattle and kids, and, and he's kind of camping out as he goes. He's in Shechem, and if you remember the story, horrible story, worst, worst stories in Genesis for sure, his daughter is raped by uh, Shechem, uh, and to get revenge... Uh, her brothers go out and they, they trick the Shechemites and they end up slaughtering every living male in the town, right? right so that brings you up to chapter 35. So in chapter 35, uh, Jacob now has become a, a it says in, at the end of chapter 34, he's become a huge stink to the Canaanites. Okay, he's become a stench in their nostrils. And he's convinced, and probably accurately so, that they want to kill him, right? They want to take revenge, right? So he's been on this huge loop, this big circle. He's on his way back. And at Bethel, when, he, when God had met him, he had promised to God, look, if you do those things, if you take care of me, you, you provide for me, you protect me, you bring me home, I will return to this very spot and I will worship you. Okay, I will worship you. I will build an altar and you will be my God. Okay, you'll be my only God. I will trust in you alone as my God. Right? Well, he's on his way, but now he's got a problem. Okay? To go south in, toward Bethel is to go deeper into Canaanite territory. Right? He's just really ticked off all the Canaanites because his sons have foolishly killed a whole town. Right? He's no longer friends with these people, and he's terrified for his life. Interestingly, he's coming back to the same point in his journey the same way he left with the sense of fleeing for his life, right? The sense of terror that um, his life is in danger. Not only his, but his family, his children, big, huge entourage of people. What's he going to do, right? And so he gets kind of stuck at Shechem. Right? He's, he was on his way to, to Bethel, but he's stuck here, okay? He's fearful to move forward. 
And he's kind of paralyzed with what to do next. So I go back to where I came from. I didn't exactly leave on good terms with uh, father-in-law Laban. Going back's not a great option, right? And there's his brother Esau, but that's not really such a great option either. Uh, where he needs to go is blocked by all these people who want to kill him. So what does he do? Well, it's, we're just going to read the first three verses. Um, it's as far we're going to get today. Three verses. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and go up to Bethel, right, and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. God, God appears to him again in his grace, even after all this. And God says to him, I want you to get ready, go up to Bethel. Uh, which, uh, actually, in the way we think, going south would be going down. So I would, I would word it, go down to Bethel. Um, and worship me there. Right? Worship me there. And I want to look this morning at really what... What worship is, and, and let this teach us not everything there is to know about worship, but some important things about our worship and about his worship. Uh, first of all, it's significant that, that Jacob was called to worship. All right? uh, it's not something he did really of his own. Uh, he didn't make the promise, but what's significant here is that God spoke to him about it. It says in verse 1, God, God spoke to Jacob and said to him, Get up and go to Bethel and build, build an altar for me. Right? Um, I don't think in this instance uh, God appeared to him. I think he just spoke to him. Uh, but he says to him, it's time for you to fulfill your vow to me. Right? You made this promise 20 years ago, and it is, it's time for you to, to do this. Um, and I believe there is a right time for worship. Right? And one of the things that we want to think about this morning is what's the right time to worship? Uh, clearly God had said to Jacob, you know, it's been 20 years, now's the time, right? Now you're at a place in your life where worship is significant, and I want you to get up and go to Bethel now and build this altar and worship me. Um, and I would say that, you know, as he's called to go up, and given, this, given the, the, the situation he's in, it would have been very easy for Jacob to say, you know, God... I, I want to worship you. Believe me, it's on my heart to worship you. But it's just really not convenient for me right now. Right? Wouldn't it be easy to him to say that? Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that where you would say, look, I want to worship God. I know I'm supposed to worship God, but honestly, it's not a good time for me right now. Right? You ever feel that way? It's not convenient. Right? It's not convenient for me to set aside time to worship God. And I would say, actually, in my own life and experience, that, um, that it's never convenient to worship God. Right? It's never the easy and natural thing to do. It's something I know I'm supposed to do. It's something I long to do. But quite honestly, there's always a lot of other things I could do that seem more important at the time. Uh, like, in this case, I mean, honestly, Jacob's got a pretty good excuse. You know, they're going to kill me. Right? Now, I've never had that excuse. You know, I'm afraid, God, if I worship you, I'll die. Right? Thankfully, we live in a place where worship is free. Not true everywhere, right? There are places right now today in the world where people worship at risk of their life. Right? Uh, for us, that's usually not the excuse. 
for us, it's more things like, um, you know, God, I'm, I'm actually quite busy now, but it's, 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 just a, it's just a season. You know, it's just this period in my life, and I know when I get through this busy time, things are going to slow down, and then I'll really set aside quality time for worship. Right? Have you ever said that to yourself? Don't, don't raise your hands. Right? I've said it many times. Right? You know, it's just, it's, just, it's just a phase I'm in right now. What happens with me, though, is phases end and start new phases that are worse than the last phase, right? I, I'm not as busy, and then I become even more busy and more busy and more busy, right? Okay? Uh, it's never a good excuse to say, I'm too busy to worship, right? Uh, not a good excuse. Uh, second thing, it's, it's easy to say, you know, I'm just not in a good place spiritually, right? Uh, for, for many years, I struggled with this, and I felt like, in order to worship God appropriately, I had to get my life right, right? And I knew that there were things in my life that weren't quite right. And I wasn't really doing what I, everything that I knew I should, and I wasn't quite spiritually strong. And so I was like, well, God, I would love to worship you now, but first let me get my act together. Okay, let me, let me, let me fix myself first. Then my, my worship will be better. The only problem is, uh, I can't actually fix myself, right? <laughs> And it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? If you wait until you're fixed, I'll tell you what, here, you, know, you know when you will be fixed, really fixed? When you're dead, right? And you will worship God then. But you'll have missed a lot of great opportunities in the meantime, right? So that's not a good excuse. Uh, and it, it, really misunderstands, it really misunderstands what worship is. If you feel that you need to be... Uh, be fixed, right? If you really have the sense that I need to put myself together before I can worship God, you misunderstand what worship is. And you misunderstand what God wants to do in your life. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, maybe you would say, well, I'm just not feeling it. You know, worship seems something that really happy people do. And you go to church and you see these people who just seem really excited. And they've had their 10 cups of coffee and they're just happy. And they're just I mean, they're just beaming with joy, and they're raising their hands, and they're jumping and dancing and singing, and they're just all full of worship. I don't feel that way. Actually, I'm kind of depressed today. It's rainy, it's gloomy. I'm tired of being rainy and gloomy. I'm really not all that crazy about being where I'm at in my life, in this place right now, and I feel kind of discouraged. I don't feel like worshiping. Ever been there? You know? And maybe you try, and it just feels dead and empty. And you go, see, God, I tried, see, it didn't work, so I'm just going to give up, right? Well, it's never convenient to worship God. And if we wait until all the circumstances are right, uh, we, will, we will miss out on really what God has called us to and what God wants to do in our life through worship. So when is the right time to worship? Well, on one hand, it's true that we really should be worshiping God all the time. If you're to answer, you know, when's the right time to worship? Well, any time. All the time should be a good time to worship. And God, as he communicates to Jacob, he really communicates that when he says these phrases. Literally the phrase is, get up, go to Bethel, and dwell there. New Living has the idea of settle there. Um, and build an altar to the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother. Um, what does he mean when he says to dwell there? <clears throat> Uh, did he, did, was God saying to Jacob, I want you to go and move and set up permanent residence at Bethel? Okay, that is what God had told him, 
then Jacob wasn't listening very well because he doesn't actually do that. He goes to Bethel, he builds an altar, he worships, and then he moves on and actually goes to Bethlehem and then to Hebron. He sees his father. He doesn't actually stay at Bethel. Uh, so was he just dull, thick, disobedient? What, what was going on there? Well, I don't think God was instructing him to set up permanent residence at Bethel. Uh, and the main reason for that is that God had promised he would bring him home to his father. And he hadn't got there yet. Right? He, his, his ultimate destination was to return to his father, Isaac's home. And uh, Bethel actually would have been on the way back. And he hadn't got there yet. So I don't think God is saying to him, look, I want you to... Uh, live in Bethel and never leave there again, ever. Uh, that's not what he's communicating. But I like that picture that God says, I want you to dwell there. I want you to hang out there. And I think God is saying this. He's saying, you know, Bethel is the place where you vowed to worship me, where you vowed to make me your God, where I encountered you the first time. And I want you to go there. I want you to worship me. I want you to build an altar of praise and worship to me. And I want you to dwell in that place, not, not the physical, geographical place of Bethel, but the place of worship. He says, I want you to take this experience of worship with you as you go, right? and become a God worshiper. Okay, this is to be the first act or event in his life where he deliberately chose to intentionally worship God. And he says, as you go on, as you go on your journey, as I lead and direct you to your, back to your father's house, I want you to become a continual God worshiper. Somebody knows how to take this experience of being in God's presence with you and as you worship God. So we really should be, worship, and we should be like that. I mean, it's a great picture. Um, it's a great picture of being a people who know how to take the worship experience with us. When are we to worship? Do we just worship on Sunday morning? We've got a great worship band like this morning. Thank you guys for jumping in last minute and worshiping. Or is worship something to be something that we take with us? It's our continual dwelling. Well, obviously, I think it's supposed to be something we do continually. Right? So when's the right time to worship? Well, worship should be something we engage in continually uh, and should be more and more a constant pursuit of our life as we take God with us, as we encounter God in our life. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll explain more how that works later, but uh, it, it, sh- it should be something that's a continual practice. But let me say this also. Uh, I think there is a right order or sequence to worship. Now here's a puzzling question to think about. Um, God first met Jacob... 20 years, at least 20 years before this, right? So, so Jacob had this great encounter at Bethel. God appeared to him, revealed him to him. It really rocked his world and changed his life. And for 20 years, he's been living in light of that promise. And in fact, he says uh, several times, he says, uh, we're going to now go to Bethlehem where I will build an altar and worship the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. And he has been with me wherever I've gone. Uh, again, later, Jacob again states that several times in this narrative. He, he states this point, God has been with me everywhere I've gone. Now, here's the question. Here's a guy who's sensed God's presence with him every day for 20 years. Okay? After 20 years, now God says, okay, now it's about time you worship me. Doesn't this seem kind of odd to you? 
If worship is so important to God, why does he wait 20 years? Right? Can you imagine if this worked for us and we get saved? And uh, 20 years later, God says, okay, you know, I saved you 20 years ago. I want you to go to church this Sunday for the first time. Right? I want you to go worship God for the first time. It seems kind of strange, right? Um, why? Shouldn't Jacob have been worshiping God, I mean, at Bethel? Shouldn't, he, shouldn't this have been something? Why wasn't he building altars and worshiping God for the last 20 years? Well, I do think there's a right order and sequence to worship. And I think it's significant that we get this order correct. Right? And it's very easy to miss what worship is when we get things out of the right sequence. And here's the sequence. Uh, in chapter 28, God, uh, Jacob, Jacob promised to God, he says, if, after God's spoken his promise, he says, God, indeed, if you will be with me, if you will keep me safe and take care of me and bring me home, then, then I will worship you as my one and only God. Now, you know, the first time I read that, first 20 times I read that, I thought, well, that's just not right. This is Jacob, you know, holding out on God. This whole kind of bartering thing, you know. Well, actually, I think there's something very right and correct about what Jacob does here. And it is that, God, that, that he recognizes true worship must be a response to God's faithful activity in our life. Right? He says, look, God, if you will show yourself to be faithful to your promise, I will respond with worship. Right? And uh, it took 20 years for God to fulfill that promise. Right? In fact, he hasn't quite fulfilled it yet because he still is not quite home. But he can see, and he can see it off in the distance. He's close. Right? And, and certainly he has seen God fulfilling the promise of protecting him, of providing, of watching over him, and of going with him day by day. Right? He has been with him. Um, there's something right in that order of worship. Uh, when is the right time for worship? I believe worship, the right time for worship is always after we have encountered God. Never before. Okay? And that before and after are critical to understand what worship is. Okay? True worship is something that always comes after we have encountered the presence and power and grace of God. Never something that we do before we have met him. Right? Let me explain. Because um, some of you are thinking, okay, he's a heretic. <laughs> um, at this point in Jacob's life, he was beginning to grasp the wonder and odd magnitude of, what, of who God was, right? He had had 20 years of experience of seeing God faithfully take care of him, right? Of seeing God keep his promise. And as he goes to Bethel, he says specifically, he says, we're going to go build an altar there to the God who, who answered my prayers. Right? I'm going to go worship the God who I cried out to who, and who met me and who has walked with me every day since. Okay? Who has responded to my need. Uh, could Jacob really have worshipped God before? Okay? Could he have? I don't think he really could have. Now, he could have done acts of worship. Right? Before he met, encountered God at Bethel, before he had seen God fulfill and work in his life, he could have gone through the motions of worship. And in fact, 
in his day, everywhere around him, in fact, we see, uh, we'll see this next week, uh, his kids had picked up foreign gods. They picked up idols, right? And all around him, everywhere, was idol worship. Okay, so he saw everyday people worshiping idols. So what did that mean? Well, in that day and in that time, uh, worshiping idols meant bowing down and worshiping and basically jumping through certain hoops in order to move the gods and manipulate the gods or coerce the gods into doing what I want. That's how it worked, right? So for most people in Jacob's day, worship was doing crazy things, presenting offerings or going through some ritual in order to bend the will of the God to do something for me, right? Um, that is not worship, okay? It's manipulating God, right? And that's what idolatry comes down to. That's one of the problems with idolatry. And that's why God commanded the Israelites not to worship Him in that way, right? He says, don't make images to me. Don't, don't go through these motions and these ceremonies where you try to manipulate me into doing stuff for you, right? Had, and here's what this would have looked like. If Jacob had gone to Bethel, and he'd have built an altar, and he'd have bowed, and he'd offered gifts, and done, you know, offered incense, and put little cups of Pepsi on the little thing, you know. Have you ever seen that? Um, I'd say, okay, God, now, now take care of me. All right, I worshipped you, now take care of me. Okay, see, that's not worship. That's manipulating God. Uh, now, thankfully, we as Christians never do that, Right? Um, you know, one of my first, uh, well, for many years actually, uh, my, my experience of devotional life went something like this. I, I, I got saved in a church that was really, I mean, they really stressed every day, every day. You know, you've got to read the Bible, you've got to pray. It was a big deal in our church. And in fact, at the end of the year, every year, they, they had this huge, very grand celebration of everybody who was spiritual enough to read through their Bible, the whole Bible, in one year. Right? And they had certificates and plaques and awards, and they would march everybody up front. And I thought, man, those are spiritual people because they've read the whole Bible in one year. Wow. And I'm going to do that, right? And everything was measured in terms of quantifiable things like chapters and hours and time, right? And, uh, and, and it was very much communicated. I don't know if they communicated this or just what I heard, but this message was, look, if you do your part, then God will do his, right? So I took this seriously. I went and I read my Bible. And I would read. I got my King James Bible. It was the real Bible. And I would read through this Bible. And I had no clue what it meant. But it didn't, that doesn't matter because it's not important. What's important is that you endure enough time. right? So I would endure enough time reading through this King James Bible I didn't understand. And, uh, and then I would endure further praying um, I don't even know what. Just you, know, you just go through the motions, right? And I would do this diligently, and, and I would get up from having my devotions, and I would feel so good about myself. And I'd think, see, God, I'm such a good spiritual person. I mean, aren't you impressed with me? I am. And I just was so happy. I felt so good about just how spiritual I was and how I was doing it, you know? And I would go out, and I would... I would just know that today was going to be a good day because I had done my part, and therefore, God was going to do His part to make my life smooth sailing, right? And I would go out, and I would just have a terrible day, right? I'd have all kinds of problems. Everything would go wrong. Everything would go wrong. I was like, what is the deal with this? 
I come to the end of the day and I'd be quite, I'd be quite ticked off with God. It's like, God, I did, my, I did my part. Why aren't you doing yours? Come on. I mean, no, I, prayed, I prayed for 30 minutes. It was painful. I endured three chapters of King James. You have no idea how painful that is. Right? Come on. Right? You see, that's not worship. It's not worship. Right? And it took me actually years to figure that out. You know, years. Uh, that I can't, I can't force God to do something. Okay? It's not, how, it's not who God is. Okay? To do that is to reduce God to idolatry. Okay? It is to turn Christianity into idolatry. It is saying that God is small and petty and He can be somehow connived by us being good. Right? That I can impress Him. Right? That if I become worthy enough, God will love me. Right? See, that's not worship. It's missing the whole point. And if Jacob were to start off on that kind of exercise, he would have missed the whole point. Right? See, it's the right order to worship. And worship must always come after we have had an encounter with God and we respond to His power and His grace. Right? Um, and so it was significant that God waits 20 years, right? This, this, were, this was some pretty significant worship. This worship was 20 years in the making, okay? It's a pretty significant worship. Right? And, and you read through this, and Jacob says, you know, God says, I want you to go and build an altar to, to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother. Okay, Jacob says, I, I'm going to go build an altar, altar to the God who has answered my prayers when I was in distress, and he's been with me. I'm going to go worship a God who has proven himself faithful to me, who has shown himself over and over and over again to be powerful and loving and good. And I just am awed and in wonder at his kindness. And I'm going to go, and I don't know how I'm going to do this, but somehow I'm going to build an altar to express to God my gratitude for what he's done in my life. That is true worship. Um... So does that mean that we only can worship God when everything's going well? Right? Does that mean uh, we can only worship God when, when He's gloriously answered prayer? Well, no. Uh, in fact, for Jacob, this was kind of a difficult time. I mean, he's just had this huge, horrible thing happen with his sons, killing off all the people at Shechem. He's fearful. He is, in a sense, fleeing for his life. Right? It doesn't mean that we don't worship God. In fact, I believe that when we're in the midst of struggle and difficulty, one of the most important things we can do in those times is to stop and worship. Stop and worship. But it's very important that we get the sequence right. right? That our worship is a response to what God has already done, not trying to get myself together so that God will do something for me in the midst of my problem. Right? And it's a very fine line. I mean, it's so easy to slip off the wrong side of that very sharp razor edge. Right? Worship should always have a, f- a focus backward on what God has already done. And it should have a focus presently with who God is to me here and now. Right? Uh, We've got to be very careful that we don't make worship focused on the future as a means of pulling God's strings as if he were a puppet. 
Um, so Jacob is going, not because of any of his current problems, not because he's uncertain about the future, but he's going to celebrate what God has already done in the past. So there's a the right time. Secondly, there is a right place. Uh, he is to go to Bethel. Now again, another kind of bizarre random question. What was wrong with where he was, right? Why couldn't he build a, an altar there? Uh, or anywhere, right? Why, why was it so important f- that he go to Bethel? Right? Well, it is important. Um, and uh, it's not important because there was anything necessarily sacred about the, the spot. Um, but I think the, the spot represented returning to the place where he first met God. Right? Going back to the place where God had first appeared to him and had proclaimed his promises. Uh, and it really is the same principle, just stated in different language. Right? It's going back to the beginning. It's going back to what God has done in his saving work in our life. Uh, He's saying, look, go back to the place where you met God, where you were in a time of great crisis fleeing for your life before. You're feeling this crisis point now. Uh, It's time for you to worship and go back to the last time where I met you and saved you and worked in your life, um, where I promised to protect you, and where for the past 20 years you have seen that promise unfold. Um, when we are facing obstacles, threats, and difficulties, I'm convinced one of the greatest things we can do is worship God. And the reason is not to manipulate God into doing something, right? But to reassure ourselves and remember how faithful God has been in the past. How many of you are facing hard times right now? I mean, how many of you in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are facing something that seems impossible or seems difficult, something you don't like. Right? Uh, we have a couple options. One is to get pretty depressed about it. One is to get kind of ticked off about it. That always works well. You know, yesterday, uh, Kishara calls me and uh, her car was overheating. And I've just been gone through a whole year of dealing with a car that was overheating and breaking and cost me tons of money, which I finally got rid of. And I, and I just, and my first instinct was I thought, God, you're going to do this to me again? <laughs> I thought, and I just, I was convinced the car had a blown engine because that's what God seems to do to me. You know, it's like, and I started focusing on all that and I just thought, God, and my, my instinct was to get kind of angry at God, right? Um, not helpful. Don't do that, okay? Uh, finally, I, saw, I, I pulled myself together. And I remembered God's promise. God said he's going to take care of it. So as difficult as it was, I remembered his faithfulness in the past. Right? I remembered. You've got to go back uh, to his faithful work in our life. Right? That's our strength. And it's interesting, as Jacob, uh, as God calls him, Jacob instantly chooses to obey, and he steps out and he goes. And it says that God put a fear among the Canaanites. And nobody touched him. Okay, God was going to take care of him. When we take time to reflect and remember often on God's grace and kindness and power in the past, it gives us boldness and courage to face and uh, the future and confidence to know, you know, God doesn't change. 
His promises do not change. And everything that God has done to bring me safely to where I am is exactly what will take me step by step from here. Um, next, we need, to, we, see that we need to have the right focus in worship. So there's the right time, there's the right place. Um, that place is returning to the, place where, the places where we've met God and seen Him work. We need to have the right focus. Um, and ultimately, the focus is God Himself. And I, lo- I love this phrase. He says, and I'm just going to condense this down real simple. He says, uh, I, we're going to go to build an altar to the God who, the God who, how would you fill in that statement, okay? You're going to say, I'm going to go worship the God who, you fill in the blank. What would you put there? Okay. What is the focus of your worship? Uh, obviously, the focus should be God, but not just God randomly and generically. One of the places where our worship bogs down is when we worship a God who's just this kind of cosmic, really big, big person who like rules the universe, but is kind of vague and obscure and distant. Right? Uh, if you would answer that, I'm going to go worship the God who's really big, <laughs> okay. well, your worship is going to be kind of obscure, right? I'm going to go worship the God who created the universe. Well, it's true he did. And like that song we sang this morning, it is, it's, it's amazing, right? The question is, what does that have to do with you, right? What does it have to do with where you live here and now today? Uh, what is this God who has done what in your life? That's the question. We're to worship the God who has done something personal and significant in my life. For Jacob, the answer is, I'm going to worship the God who rescued me when I was fleeing for my brother's life and who has walked with me every day since. The God who saved me and the God who's continually with me. In other words, Jacob says, I'm going to worship the God who I have personal experience with. I have personally encountered and experienced his salvation, his protection, his provision, and his presence. All peace, I like that. I love alliterations. Um, right, that's the focus. How would you answer that? I would worship the God who has done what in your life? Right? The God who has done what significantly for you personally that moves you to worship? Finally, let me end with this thought. Uh, we are to ultimately worship. We are ultimately to exalt in the gospel. For us, uh, you know, I hope that all of us have had very clear encounters with God's saving work in our life and answered prayer. Uh, I believe that God wants us to cry out to him when we're in desperate help and he, he meets us in those times. But it all really goes back to and starts with our first, our Bethel. You know, where is our Bethel? Well, our Bethel always comes back to ultimately the cross. Because for us, it really must begin there. The place where we first encounter God and come to know Him is when we came to understand the, sal- the saving work of Christ on the cross. So for us, uh, worship really must begin with exalting in the gospel. Uh, but it's interesting, uh, at this time, especially in the Western church, 
uh, there's a great deal of confusion about what the gospel is. And this was highlighted to me quite well at our, one of our recent staff meetings where uh, I threw this question out, what is the gospel? And all of our Thai staff answered it simply. Right? They just said, you know, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, and, you know, well, all of our foreign staff got into this huge discussion um, about what the gospel was. A lot of it is what I think it wasn't, right? And a huge confusion. And part of the confusion comes from this problem in our Western culture that we're not real comfortable with this whole idea of the cross, and we really want to move away from it. We want to communicate a message about God of his love. God is loving. God is all about love. And this whole cross thing seems to kind of freak people out. We don't want to freak people out, you know? So let's just avoid the cross. Let's just skip that part of it. Right? Let's just talk about how God is loving and God loves you, right? Uh, so we talk about the gospel of the kingdom. It's very popular. You read books, about half the books you read that are coming out now will phrase the gospel in terms of the gospel of the kingdom. Well, it's true. Jesus talked about the gospel of the kingdom. It's biblical, right? But it's not the whole gospel. And, and what they mean by the gospel of the kingdom is this, that the gospel is about bringing justice to the world, right? So we want to help the poor. We want to help the, the, the widows and orphans. We want to do good things for people. And that's the gospel, what is the gospel? Right? It's part of the gospel. It's the outpouring of the gospel. It is what Jesus came to introduce kingdom life. But that without the cross is nothing. Right? You can't bring justice without dealing with judgment. Right? There must be the cross. That's the gospel. I'm sorry, you can't take it. You, know, you read the Bible from one end to another, upside down, backward, forward. Backmass the Bible, I don't care. The cross is still in the center. Everything looks to the cross in the Old Testament, and from the Gospels forward, everything points back to the cross. It is about the cross. Uh, another problem, I think for many of us, if we grew up in the church, if we lived in, you know, if, we, if we went through 50 years of Sunday school and finally graduated, and, um, you know, uh, and I love Sunday school, and I love what, what we do to teach children. But what happens is a lot of times we communicate things to children at a child's level. Right? We grow up, but oftentimes we, we retain a child's level understanding of things. And because the cross is so central and the gospel is so central, you, you know, if, you, if you've gone through you know, all the way through Sunday school, you've heard, you've heard the words, Jesus died, died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again about 10 million times, Right? until it becomes empty and it becomes kind of a formula that doesn't mean anything. And so what happens is we, we look back on this formula and we go, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was brain rose again. What is that? What is that? I don't know what that is. It's kind of like this. When I, um, in, my, in my days back when I had a chance to go backpacking a lot and I loved to backpack and go climb mountains and and I would take my camera along and I would take about a million pictures of mountains that I loved. And I would come home and I'd be all excited to show Denise these great pictures of my favorite mountains, you know. And of course, the problem with pictures is you're taking a million acres of peaks that are 14,000 foot high and you're squeezing it onto a little piece of paper that's three inches by five inches, right? And I'm showing her this picture that's three by five inches. She's going, so it's a mountain. <laughs> I'm just heart struck. <laughs> It's just a mountain. I climbed that. I love that mountain. Right? That mountain is precious to me. It's just a mountain. 
can't understand. Well, it's because she didn't experience what I experienced, right? It was fun. Evan and the Mia Cows were at our house the other day, and there's a picture of a mountain, hang, a watercolor painting, and Evan looks at that peak, and he goes, oh, I know that mountain. It was a mountain in Nepal he had seen. and it was uh, uh, I forget now which one, you know. Abu Dhabi, there you go. He was excited, see, because he has experienced that mountain, right? Well, the deal with worship is, for, for us, if we, have, if we have a snapshot photo of the cross, and we've never taken it past there, of course it's empty. Of course it doesn't mean anything, right? If we have never taken time to meditate deeply on what it meant for God the Father to send His Son to die in our place, because there was no other way of salvation for us than that God sacrifice His own Son. Okay? And honestly, it takes time and deep meditation and reflection on that. Okay? It's easy to make that just a trivial, cheap truth. Right? And we need, to, we need to, to penetrate the depths of what that means. You know, sadly, and, and many of you who know me well know that I kind of lean towards the mystic side, and I love some of the great mystics. And uh, I don't know the guy's name now, but the guy who wrote the poem of which we get this song, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. That, that hymn comes out of a 300-verse poem where he wrote 300 verses meditating on Jesus' crucifixion. Right? And the words of that are powerful because he spent a lot of time reflecting on what it meant that Jesus died for us. Uh, we need to exult in the gospel. We need to come to a place where we are celebrating deeply our salvation through Jesus Christ. That's worship. I mean, that's where worship begins as a heart response, as a life response that, wow, God loved me so much that he gave his only son for me that I might live and have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we we, uh, ask, and as we just come before you and reflect on our hearts and lives, that we, we do confess to you that oftentimes we, we greatly misunderstand uh, and take for granted your salvation. But we confess that in our busyness and our striving to uh, deal with life, sometimes we just so neglect the very core truth of our faith and we spend far too little time reflecting on the importance and truth of the gospel and Lord we know that it's never convenient and we know that Satan will throw up a million obstacles to dilute and water down our worship by watering down the message of the cross by making trivial and insignificant our salvation Lord, I thank you for Jacob who remembered back when he was fleeing for his life when 
things looked really grim for him. But God came down and met him and made these incredible promises to him, even though he was so unworthy. And Lord, you've done the exact same thing for us. When our life was absolutely a wreck, and when we were lost in the pit of darkness, you came down to us, and you met us, and you revealed yourself to us. You disclosed to us your nature and your power and your truth. And you showed us what salvation means. Lord, we want to celebrate. Uh, We want to worship you. We want to glorify you because of these great truths. So help us, Lord, to understand them. Lord, if it takes 20 years of reflecting on it, if it takes 20 years of us meditating on the cross, Lord, may we pursue that until one day we're at a place where we can build a worthy altar of worship to you. Lord, help us truly honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.